It's the Cavaliers Basketball Club Podcast. It's basketball time in the queue. It's over! It's over! The 52 years is over! The Cavaliers have won the NBA Championship! Cleveland! This is for you! Mitchell goes to the basket and buries Cornette! Garland high steps over the timeline, stumps on a dime, hits the three! Darius Garland has been unreal here in the fourth quarter. Jack clock down to five. Lillard blocked by Mobley. Oh, my. Take his home. Challenge Dallas and Allen Sicko. Get that big step out of here. <laughs> the shoot around. Welcome back to the club. The Cavs have been without Donovan Mitchell for the last three games, but the team has tried to rally without him. They put in a heck of a game against the Grizzlies and still lost 115-114. to 114. Played awful against the Warriors and yet another loss, 114-120, to 120, but then beat the Bucks. Thank God. 114-102. Last week we mentioned the team might be without Mitchell for some time, and they've performed well without him. Do you think the team has collectively raised its play, or... Have a few of the players finally stood up and taken charge? Well, Darius has been a catalyst for this team right now. He's averaging just over 25 points while Mitchell's been out. But if there's one player that I'm going to point at that's really jumping off the screen, it's Evan freaking Mobley. I mean, he was huge in the Memphis game, and then he put up a career high against the Bucks. And we'll get into that more later. Overall, though, I think the team has stepped up as a group with Donovan out and that's really tremendous to see. Please be sure to rate and review us on Apple Podcasts and Spotify, or follow us on the podcast player of your choice. We are also adding extra content to our YouTube channel, so please subscribe. And be sure to leave us a comment. We'd love for you to engage with the pod. At the Bucks game, the Cavs held a tribute ceremony at halftime for Anderson Verajao, a.k.a. The Wild Thing. And if you ever played 2K, it was Varejo or Varejo, or <laughs> uh, who knows. They also had a tribute video that included a number of his former teammates. He's going to be working with the team in player development role. Is there a skill you think Allen or Mobley could pick up from him? In a nice way, I don't really think so. I think that Evan Mobley and Jared Allen are much further along in their expertise of playing basketball. I do think Verjao was really good at taking charges, so maybe Allen and Mobley can pick that up. But I don't really see him actually sitting down with these two guys and giving them some nugget that allows them to leap into another tier of their play. But it's nice that they're helping Verjao out and giving him some type of purpose after his retirement, which is kind of cool to see. Yeah. When I saw the headline of Anderson Verjao and Cavs, I just thought, oh, no, they're bringing <laughs> him back again. No, <laughs> no, 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 no. Because no. he did play for them a few years ago yet again. I would say, in all honesty, absolute truth here, energy. Just drive mm-hmm. to come off the bench and make something of the minutes he was given Mm -hmm. that's true yeah obviously those guys are going to get a lot of minutes they're starters he was rarely a starter thankfully sorry Andy like you just were not that caliber but he was a fan favorite and his energy off the bench really was a catalyst at times to propel the team into a win 
And of course, you know, that was a part of, of his flopping on <laughs> charges uh, that he became known for that honestly Kevin Love has kind of supplanted him in some ways as the, the new version of that in the, in the Cavs uh, dynasty of uh, charge takers. Let's, let's say it that yeah. way. Yeah, no, I think that you hit the nail on the head with that. I think energy was his thing and any NBA player who is a starter or coming off the bench should always use maybe a few pointers on how to bring it at every game. I don't think that was ever in doubt with Barajao is he really did try his hardest in every game. Right. Next up, Delevedova. For those that have shown up from just reading the title alone, we're here to talk about Evan Mobley, who was tremendous against the Bucks putting up 38 huge points. What are you seeing from Mobley that allowed him to perform so well? So for me, it's his aggression on the offensive side of the ball. There were so many times where he was the finisher. He was the one getting the points, and everybody on the floor knew that he was going to get a bucket in that moment. He really put Brooke Lopez in a blender a few times. His turnaround jumper was butter, and was completely unstoppable hence the 38 points i think one of my favorite moments that i saw was when he took the ball from the corner three and drove in and you know pushed a defender off of him and challenged lopez at the rim and dunked right in his face and that was something that we knew he could do but it wasn't something we've seen often and you and I have mentioned, we've compared Mobley to a lot of different players. I think from the jump, you and I really thought that Kevin Durant was probably our hope in his this comparison. I've also seen Kevin Garnett and also Tim Duncan, as I blank here. Uh, you know, just all Hall of Famers there. But Mobley looked like a mixture of all of them in the game against the Bucks, He looked like his own player, which is what you want, but he had the finish and the touch of all three of these players in his positioning and everything. I think he's had a really solid sophomore season. It's been a little slow to get off uh, with some of his numbers, but I think his game against the Grizzlies was really amazing through and through. The Grizzlies are, if not the best team in the West, the top two. And they have a very good defense. And he put up 18 points, two blocks, a steal, and 15 rebounds against Memphis in Memphis. And we've mentioned that this team struggles away, and Mobley looked amazing on that court. So we're seeing he's taking these steps, but I can see a through line from the Grizzlies game to this Bucks game where it's that aggression is the number one reason why his performance is improving. All great points, absolutely. And things I hadn't really considered. Um, I think from one of the things that you said, uh, the fact that from the very beginning we've been trying to find a way to compare him to current mm -hmm. amazing players in the league or future Hall of Famers mm -hmm. or already yeah. Hall of Famers, because we know that this man has that potential. 
And, you know, we sometimes we call him a kid or whatever because we're getting old <laughs> and he's very young. But, you know, it's, it's more the promise of what we understand the next 10 years of his life can bring. That he's nowhere near the, mm-hmm. the full ability, physically, mentally, that he can be. And he's been playing this game since he was a little kid. I just remember the day that we drafted him before we drafted him. They interviewed him on ESPN. And I think, I don't know if I caught it like right before the draft. I think you sent me the link. And mm, it was okay. him sitting in this amazing suit. Mm-hmm. And he yeah. was, and they were saying, well, you know, people describe you like this and they think of you like this. And I think Elijah was in there and all of that. And Duncan, like you said. And he had said something simply like, well, I, I think uh, I should be, you know, compared to me. You know, like I, it's just. I'm Evan Mobley, and my my goal is to have people say my name. You know, basically that was the gist of the of the conversation. And uh, I remember thinking, man, that's the best answer because, yeah, you take away from a lot of different players' games, but uh, ultimately you want people one day saying, oh, you play like Evan Mobley, and he was already there. Yeah. So yeah. that's just stuck in my head. When you look at the stats from the game, 38 minutes, 38 points. 19 of 27, <laughs> and you sent me a stat to read out, which thank you for you know assisting me, but the fact that <laughs> he scored 38 of his points without a single free throw or three-point field goal made, which is sad because he did take two three-pointers and he missed them. Come on, Evan, keep yeah, trying. Yeah. You're going you're gonna to get them. Only three other NBA players since the three-pointer was adopted in 1979 have ever scored 38-plus points without a free throw or a three-point field goal made. Akeem Olajuwon in 97, Alex English, we all know him, in 88, right? And then, and then in 1984, George Gervin. So that's some impressive stats, impressive people to be a part of. Mm-hmm. And um, we've been saying from the beginning, hey, this guy's special, but they've had Garland, they've had Sexton, now they have Mitchell, they have all of these different players and pieces and opportunities abound. And I think sometimes the coaches forget they have Evan Mobley, a possible phenom, just going, when you give me the ball, right? If he's yeah. tired yeah. and he needs he needs a rest, how about me tonight? And the fact that he was as aggressive as he was and he took as many shots as he did, that's what a leader on a team does. And at mm-hmm. his age, to already take that leap, they must be salivating at the opportunities of what they might be able to do with the offense if they can make him more productive like that most nights. Yeah, I thought it was also interesting because Brad Doherty was on the uh, the broadcast for the Cavs. And, you know, he was also a really good post player for the Cavs. And there were times when he would try to call out what Mobley was going to do to get the bucket or which point in, you know, breaking down the defense Mobley should take in and again getting the basket and it seems like every time Evan surprised him which is also really important because that means the people on the floor are also surprised and Doherty wasn't saying it wasn't a criticism or anything he was just like oh you want to hit the hook oh no okay the turnaround jumper and and stuff like that which was awesome to hear because this is a, a guy that knows the game better than you and I I do and has seen Evan 
more in you know a training environment and playing games more than us and even he is seeing more wrinkles in his game 30-ish games into the season of his second year you know I, I hate to kind of bring it up but that's what we saw in lebron as well we saw a guy who wasn't satisfied with always taking this particular shot or only refining these four elements of his game and that's also really exciting because evan clearly is working really hard outside of the games the team's other 21 year old on this squad isaac okoro has really progressed since the beginning of 2023 he had a big performance against the grizzlies scoring 17 points and going four of four from three has he solidified himself as a starter on this team well i would like to think so but i think there's too much that's up in the air right now for the Cavs and what they're thinking of doing with this roster. Akuro needs to continue to play the way that he has since the start of the season. Over these last 11 games, absolutely, if he could play like that for the next 30 or so, then he'll definitely supplant his role in the starting five moving into the playoffs. And if he can play well in the playoffs, then there's a really good chance that he'll come into the season in that starting five position again. We know that the Cavaliers organization believes in Isaac. Mm -hmm. They've been working on his shot for the last several years. They put out that article in, in Cleveland.com right before. They wanted everybody to know that he's put in the work, and they were proud of that. And unfortunately, he kind of came out and laid an egg. He didn't play the way that they assumed that he would, and in some ways I think they put too much pressure on him. There was already mm -hmm. enough going on with the team that there was – enough focus on Garland and Mitchell and Allen and Mobley and everybody else that why float an article on about Okuro unless of course you're trying to take it away from the other guys and why would you do that so in some ways it just felt like it was poor timing and it seemed to fluster him and once he lost the starting role to Levert to start the year he just hasn't been the same but we're very happy to report and that's why we're here talking about him now is we're, we wouldn't normally talk about a guy that basically comes off the bench, um, at least not dedicate a whole section to him necessarily. And that's because over the last 11 games, he's been lights out. You've got, he's been 10 for 16 from three over the last six games. Mm -hmm. But then over the last 11 games, he's closer to his career averages, which we've been saying all year, that's, they've all been down, but they're, He's picking them back up over those 11. And then he's also been shooting 57% from three. Yeah. So you have a situation where, and especially that last stat, if he can be that consistent, yeah, he's going to be out there. And there's a reason why you haven't seen Jetty as much. They've been trying other guys. And I, I don't know if that's because they know what they have in Jetty, so they'll just bring him in when they need him. But we, that's another thing I've been you know, thinking yeah. about. Throw it up the Jetty alert. Where is he? Um, but it's mostly, I think, because of people like Akuro and Stevens getting more playing time. And Akuro is deserving of that, you know, based on everything that I've said. How about you? What do you think about his position on the team right now? Well, we are hearing weird rumors in respect to the team wanting to go after a wing. But I definitely think their calculus 
in how they pursue that is going to change if Isaac keeps playing the way he's playing. He's not going to keep hitting 50, 57% from three. That's insane. I mean, he would. we should sign him to a multi-year contract tomorrow if, if that was the case. But I do think that he could, if he's over 36, closer to even 38% from three, he will solidify himself as a starter because... Not only did he do that in the Grizzlies game, but he was guarding Ja Morant most of the game, who is an all-star, a multi-level talented scorer. And Morant wasn't shut down per se, but Isaac did a really good job at flustering him, getting up in his space and causing turnovers and even helping get some shots blocked. So that's what Isaac brings is... He is able to be a defensive stalwart, and we've always loved that about him. I think that you and I and maybe like four other dudes who follow the Cavs really love Isaac on some level, but we were clearly frustrated with how he was playing, and I'm sure he was as well. And I'm just really glad that his offensive mindset is improving. Not only is he making these shots from the outside, but he's being aggressive and getting at the basket as well because he's seeing that a lot of the guys that are put on him, if he can get them off balance just a little bit, the guys that are defending him are usually the weakest defenders. So he's able to use his physicality to get by them or get positioning. And that's another easy way to get a basket or to get the offensive you know, side of the ball rolling and get a good pass or, you know, a dump off pass to Mobley or whoever. So I'm really happy about that. And the last thing I'll say is if he is going to become the starter more consistently, the rest of the team really has to trust him. In this stretch of games, I'm still seeing that he is wide open at times and the rest of the players don't really look for him to initiate on offense and that really needs to change at the end of that Grizzlies game Isaac was wide open and I don't know what the play call was and I know that Levert kind of got flustered and Garland got flustered but Isaac was the hottest shooter on your team that night and nobody looked at him so that also needs to change if if he is going to get more of a starting role yeah, and I really I agree with that. I think that that change will naturally come if he starts hitting those mm-hmm. shots more consistently. They will have to say, okay. And it's, it's kind of a surprise that they didn't drop a play for him. Maybe they thought, well, use him mm-hmm. as a decoy since he was having such a good night. But um, we know <laughs> we know how we feel about Levert and how the, the offense kind of <laughs> stutters stops. a little bit sometimes when he's out there. Yeah, stops, stutters, whatever. I have a quick question for you. Obviously, our the the opening of this is is he solidifying himself as a starter. But if he doesn't solidify himself as a starter, what other role do you see him solidifying on this team as, or is he better as you know just trading him away? I don't think you trade him away. I think you can still use him as more of a three and D specialist. If he's still going to shoot consistently, that's the main thing. Is if he's still over 36% from three, if he can really hit that outside corner shot, then you use him in spots and he's an improvement on a guy like Jetty, right? So 
I would look further down the rest of the squad and Isaac would be bumped up because Isaac can guard three positions. Jetty can kind of stay in front of a few guys at times. But that's how I would see it if if he did still kind of sputter and not hit his full potential. Yeah, I would see I'd rather see us trade Karras and keep Okuro mm-hmm. and move him into more of a shooting guard backup to Mitchell because I think I've yeah. noticed that he is a lot stronger when he's matched up against guys that are more his size. So sometimes he doesn't yeah. seem to be suited for the small forward position and that's where you bring in Stevens. Yeah. But um, mm-hmm. but Okuro's got to get more comfortable with his shot so he can spell Mitchell and we don't have such a huge dip in offense when he's off the floor. Definitely. The final seconds. Bobby Marks of ESPN wrote that the trade he would like to see from the Cavs is, quote, Isaac Okoro, Jetty Osmond, and two second-round picks, a 2026 and 2028, to Portland for Josh Hart. In a second trade, Dylan Windler and a 2027 second to Detroit for Hamadou Diallo. Do you pull the trigger at him? Well, Hamadou's stats look very similar to Okuro's stats when Okuro's playing well, so I don't know about that. He's older, so that's great. Wait, that's probably not great. <laughs> I don't think that's that's probably not a plus. Josh Hart's stats were also pretty underwhelming. I think uh, this is not a tra- this is a trade of just moving pieces to move pieces, and I don't think that's what the Cavs are interested in doing right now. Overall, I think that the news media seems to be really grasping at straws to find something that the Cavs might do before the trade deadline. And I just don't see anything yet that makes a lot of sense for the future of the team. So for now, I'm going to say no. I, I don't understand why this would be a positive. Everything that's been floated so far just seems like a net loss when you can't put a value or a premium on what it means to draft a player and bring him up from that process through your organization. I know it's a business and guys leave all the time, but it's ideal that they can keep them as long as possible and they want that, especially in their prime. And when thinking about a guy like Akuro alone, he has not hit his prime and he may never really develop a shot the way that you want him to. But athletically, he's nowhere near as good as he's going to get. So, no, I'm not interested in getting rid of anybody, really. And Dylan Windler, you know, okay, you're going to be floated around in trade bait because, sadly, we can't get you on the court. So, you know, I don't know if we're ever going to see him again in a Cavs uniform, but just, just because his name was brought up, I have to say, you know, sorry, Dylan, but... That's the only way you're going to be hearing your name probably from now on is that, oh yeah, the Cavs are thinking of trading you again. Dean Wade finally returned from injury after missing seven consecutive weeks. CBS.com reported him as doing little in light minutes. He finished with zero points, one rebound, and one block. How were Dean's minutes more important than advertised? I think the most important thing about his him getting on to the court is him just being there and making sure that JB is moving him into the rotation. It's very intriguing right now because 
we're getting into a spot in the Cavs season that you and I were kind of fearful of before they traded Mitchell, which was they had a lot of mouths to feed. All of a sudden, we're kind of moving into that realm because of the fact that Dean Wade came back while Mitchell was out. And JB ended up playing, I think, 10 guys, maybe 11 guys. And they all got a decent amount of time. And so Dean Wade coming back right now is very helpful for the coaching staff to assess what is actually needed for this team every night and who they can lean on and utilize. And Kevin Love, we've talked about, has been lackluster since his thumb injury. And that's really tough on this team because Love defensively is just not at the same level as all the other guys on the floor are. And if Wade can show that he can stay on the floor and be more consistent than Love, then that is a better option for the team right now. And if Love gets his shot back, that's even better for the team because you could have Wade be that backup four more often, and then Love can finally be that spark off the bench where he's reigning in four threes in four minutes. And we don't need much more out of him because, yes, he's a solid rebounder, but Wade is also a solid rebounder, and Wade can actually guard and stay in front of multiple players as opposed to Kevin, who really struggles with staying in front of fours and threes and can handle himself against some backup centers, but that's about it. So ultimately, even though Wade did not perform as well as we would want him to, and probably he was frustrated by the game, the best thing is, is he got out there and he allowed the coaching staff to assess what he is playing like if he's having any nagging problems and that'll make the rotations better in the future because he's a great depth piece that when he's on can really sway the game for the Cavs and he's he's a really good role player in that level in that vein and that's what you need on your bench ultimately Dean Wade coming back and not even performing as well as he had hoped but just getting out on the floor is a win for this team because it allows JB and the rest of the coaching staff to figure out how these rotations should get managed and what to really expect from these players thank you for listening to the Cavaliers basketball club podcast let's go Cavs <laughs>